name is Dan Miller on behalf, uh, from Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare in St. Paul, Minnesota. On behalf of my co-chair, Dr. Siobhan Murphy-Zane of the Children's Hospital of Colorado, I would like to introduce you and welcome you to the Arabella Elite Memorial POSNA Young Members Forum for the 2021 annual meeting. This year's session is focused on the greater pediatric orthopedic family. Traditionally, work-life balance dynamics have always come from the perspective of the surgeon. At this year's forum, we wanted to tackle it from the other side of the spectrum. This section will be focused on the kids, a natural starting point as we are a pediatric specialty. To that end, we are thrilled to have three of POSNA's superstars with us here today. All of them have the unique perspective of growing up as the child of a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and are now practicing pediatric orthopedic surgeons themselves. Today, we'll explore their background, their experience growing up, and how their perspective may have changed throughout their medical training and their career. For, uh, one of our first panelists is Dr. Benjamin Roy of Columbia University Irving Medical Center and the Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital in New York City. In addition to being a fantastic surgeon and a mentor to myself, Ben has uh, some of the most impressive output stats on the Peloton that I have seen. And I would encourage anyone who's riding with the current hashtag POSNA tag to look out for him on the leaderboard, but be prepared to be humbled. Jonathan Schoeninger from Vanderbilt University Medical Center and the Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee is here with us today. In addition to being an amazing surgeon uh, and running a basic science laboratory focused on coagulation in bone biology and being a co-author for my daughter, Gabriella, on her paper, <laughs> Dr. Schoeninger is world famous for his computer animations that have distilled complex orthopedic processes into digestible material for residents and fellows year in, year out at the annual IPOS Symposium. And last but certainly not least, we have Dr. Craig Birch. Craig is a practicing pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Boston Children's Hospital in, in uh, Massachusetts, where he specializes in complex spinal conditions and pediatric trauma. From my knowledge, Craig is no slouch on the bike either. I think he prefers his bikes mobile as opposed to stationary, but perhaps we can set up a showdown between him and Dr. Roy later uh, in the future. So Craig, uh, since we were talking about you um, less, uh, as the youngest member of our panel, uh, can you tell us a little bit briefly about sort of your family and upbringing in the Dallas area? And really, what was it, what was it like to grow up in a pediatric orthopedic household? Thanks for that nice introduction. Yes, I like when it's the weather's nice enough outside to be on a mobile bike as opposed to stationary. But it's a little bit harder to do that in Massachusetts because, as you said, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and my father is John Birch, who retired not that long ago from Texas Scottish Rite, uh, where he was after moving down from Canada um, and specialized primarily in a lot of things, but mostly in uh, lower extremity deformity, limb length inequality, um, and lengthening. Uh, I think it's a little bit tricky to boil it down to the core of what it was like growing up, but uh, I think that overall, um, it really kind of comes down to priorities. And I know that growing up the child of another physician, certainly a surgeon, um, it's a pretty demanding lifestyle. And so it takes some effort in order for him to always be around. And so I know that um, I had a pretty great, fairly easy upbringing because I know that that was a big priority to him. And so he was always making a big effort to be around for both my sister and for I. Uh, he coached my soccer team, coached my sister's soccer teams, um, and was always kind of there around the house to help and give my mom a break from chasing us around all the time. And so I know we'll delve into it a little bit more, but I was raised there and lived there for 18 years before I went off to medical school and undergrad up in DC. Craig, what was your mom like? 
Uh, she was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, again, I could probably talk about both of them for a really long time. Uh, she previously was an operating room nurse in Canada and then took on the other slightly more challenging, maybe, uh, job of looking after us. Uh, and so she uh, did not continue her nursing once they moved down to Texas. And she helped take care of both my sister and I as we were growing up and probably giving her a run for her money, too. Great. John, can you tell us a little bit about your story, your family, and maybe the first time that you recognized what your dad's job was all about? Sure. So I grew up in St. Louis. Uh, my dad's been uh, after getting out of the Navy. Uh, he went to Washington where he did his residency. And then kind of fell into pediatric orthopedics, if you will, is is that Washi kind of had a mass exodus. And at first he was an adult trauma surgeon. And then the Shriners job opened up and he went out there. And then from that standpoint, very early, he became very busy with administrative aspects. He was acting chair for a couple of years at a young age and then also residency director. And during that time, my experience was is I didn't see him. It was an incredibly busy time. And I always loved as an example, if we had a soccer game that was a one o'clock start because I knew that he would actually probably make that. Things got a lot better after things kind of settled out at Wash U. Then both my brother and I grew up with him and you know, I knew what he was doing. Um, I would help him put his slides together. Maybe that's why I still do it for IPOS and things like that. We still really enjoy doing that together. But uh, in all honesty, in going through everything, I didn't really understand what he did until I was a resident, looking back at it. You know, I went into a period of time where I was very adamant of trying not to be just like the old man and look what happened. You know, he likes to remind me that when I went off to college, I was very, uh, without him uh, asking, I was very open about telling him there was no way I was going to be a doctor. And then once I decided to be a doctor, there was no way I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon because orthopedic surgeons didn't know anything. You know, I was going to be the smarter guy and be like a cardiologist or something. And then uh, when I went into orthopedics, there was no way in heck I was going to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. And then it wasn't until really my third year as a resident rotating with Mencio and Green that I really started to have an understanding as to why he was so happy with what he did. Uh, It really took that insight of spending that time with those two that actually made me understand my dad that much more. And it was really during third year that I started having that transition. And, you know, it was a good relationship, but it really took off during that third year of residency when I really learned what he actually did day in and day out. I think that we have a friend who's chair of surgery out here in Colorado, and um, he always said he never pressured his three kids to be doctors. They could be whatever kind of surgeons they wanted to be. (laughs) (laughs) And his oldest is an intern at Hopkins in general surgery, and his daughter is a freshman at med school here. His uh, third is a rebel and applying to dental school. Oh, goodness gracious. I, I, I am curious because... I don't think any of my three kids are really that interested in doing it, but do you think it's in the genes or do you think it's in the environment or is it yeah. else? You know, I think the biggest part is, is that you don't, you don't reflect on, uh, I think your parents like that until you're away. And mm-hmm. I think what happens, what happened to me when I went off to undergrad is I had all plans of being an engineer and doing something different. And as I started thinking back about it and talking with my friends, I realized that I can't remember a time that my dad came home frustrated about his job in the sense of saying that he didn't enjoy doing it. He might say something about some administrator, as we all do, but the aspect of thinking that every day was lucky to have what 
he had and that they, if he felt impactful in what he was doing in life really reflected on me, whether or not it was through words or just his actions. And I think that's what really hit me once I got off to college. And it was getting away from it that I think was so essential. I'm glad to hear that those um, the PowerPoint prodigy uh, was something there that has been there for, from early on. I guess the prodigy myth is there. Uh, moving on to Dr. Roy Ben, I, your dad is has been a mentor to so many people. Um, myself, I don't think I would be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon without him. And I know Marty Herman, Shabon herself, Dave Skaggs, Mike Vitale, so many people were influenced by him. And, and whereas you know Shabon was talking about you know the rule in the other surgeon's family was you had to be a surgeon. It seems like in the Roy compound. Uh, you didn't have to be a surgeon, but you had to end up taking care of kids somehow. Can you tell us a little, you know, I'm privy to this, but can you tell us what was it like growing up in, in literally Pleasantville? And uh, I, I know how dad, how hard your, your dad worked and continues to work. And your mom, uh, obviously working incredibly hard too. What sort of what that was like and, and maybe what one of the you know highlights or maybe one of the toughest things about having two parents involved in medicine. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And I'm you know, happy to be a part of this. It's really great to hear stories of, of people that had upbringing similar to mine. And John in particular, a lot of those themes kind of were very similar in, in my life as well. You know, I did not see my dad very much growing up. And I also said in high school, there's no way I'm ever going to be a doctor. But, you know, to kind of come back to some of those themes you were talking about before, certainly healthcare does run strong in my family. My father's an orthopedic surgeon, pediatric orthopedic surgeon. My grandfather uh, was an orthopedic surgeon in Brooklyn. My great-grandfather was an internist. So sort of fourth-generation physician, which is kind of cool, and the more immediate family. You know, my father has two sisters that are pediatric nurse practitioners. My mom's a pediatric nurse practitioner. My dad's a pediatric orthopedist. There's a lot of, of pediatric care. And, you know, for me, it was for growing up with, you know, two parents that were working full-time in, you know, high academic places. My mom was getting NIH grants and things like that. You know, it was hard. And, and I, I didn't see them a lot, in particular my dad, and I did miss him. And I, and I kind of, I think maybe similar to what John was saying, didn't say, you know, I don't know that I want to do this because I, I don't want to have my kids miss me so much. And that's definitely influenced me, you know, with my career and things like that. But I will say that when I got to college, you know, again, very similar. It's just like, you know, I couldn't think of anything else I really wanted to do. I spent a summer you know, shadowing him in college in the OR and in the office. And, and I saw him do an, an anterior spine, not that we really do that anymore, but um, I was like, holy crap, right? There's the lungs, there's the heart, there's the spine. This is so cool. And um, and that kind of sealed the deal for me that I wanted to go to med school. And and when I went to med school, I knew I wanted to take care of kids. And I didn't I didn't know I, I like peach gen surge and neurology and all those things kind of were interesting to me, but quality of life was really important to me. And pediatric general surgery is not the greatest quality of life, I think. And not only that, it's a really, really difficult fellowship to get. And there's no way I wanted to be an adult general surgeon. So it kind of, you know, in med school, you know, you kind of figure out, do I want to do medicine or do I want to do surgery? And that that decision was made very quickly for me. And, and orthopedic surgery just really made the most sense. I just, you know, it felt natural. You know, we've had obviously lots of discussions around the dinner table growing up. And I kind of was familiar with with a lot of those things. And I think once I decided that I, you know, wanted to do surgery and and just thinking about all of these issues that that uh, you know orthopedic surgery definitely made the most sense to me and and especially at the time when I was coming out, you know, more or less, you know, whatever, 16, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, not counting, 
Peace Fellowships were like, they, were, they had one applicant for every three or four spots or something like that. It was like, you know, write your own ticket. You come from, you know, it was fortunate enough to get into Columbia for residency. And, you know, coming from a place like that, you basically go where you want to go. There was no match back then, but you'd interview at a place, they'd call you the next day and like, do you want to come? Do you want to come? So it was, it was great. I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it, I will say, of my career as we all do, I think. But there's no question that my, my upbringing kind of influenced that. And I've sort of taken a slightly different tack. I, I did not do a lot of academics for the first six years, five, six years of practice um, as my family was younger. And then as they started to get older, I started to do more. I've made a very conscious effort to, to be around and not have my kids feel the way that I felt. I mean, my dad's amazing. <laughs> He's wonderful. I think most people kind of know who he is. He's done everything. He continues to work incredibly hard. He's been in China for the last, oh my God, 16 months or something like that now because he's been unable to come back with COVID, but having an incredibly successful company, um, still operating a little bit, opening up, you know, CP clinics with multiple, you know, hospitals out there and kind of marvel at what he was able to accomplish. Um, and he was no question, he was a huge influence clearly on my life, but, but it, you know, it affected it both ways, I think. Ben, you, um, so you touched on some really important things there in terms of, you know, frankly, missing your dad and, and your mom, you know, being very busy. And you talked about how you structured uh, your life. I alluded to that. Dr. Schenecker, as somebody who is so active clinically and running a lab and also has kids, um, you alluded to kind of missing your dad, particularly when he was heavy burdened down with a lot of that admin stuff. How do you try and protect that time to be there with your family? And what sort of strategies have you set up, whether that's blocking certain schedules or certain no-fly zones, that sort of thing? Uh, how do you approach that? I think that the most important thing is just to have a schedule and follow it. It's missing the expected time that I think hurts the most. And I think that that is something that both my wife and I worked out very well at the very beginning is just that we've always tried to make it, for example, that we have dinner together other than tonight when we're having a podcast, I'm just pointing out, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. We, we got we got it cleared ahead of time. But the other parts of it in terms of our relationship, I think one of our favorite times is in the morning. We both are morning people. We get up at 4.30 and go and exercise together with our dogs. And we try to do that every single morning. And that's been one of the best things that we've done. And then you know, the nighttime aspect is, is that making sure that you're there to say hi and, you know, just being there for uh, events are important, but it's also just the downtime. Um, you know, one of our favorite things to do, to be honest with you, is, is to sit together as a family and watch uh, reruns of Survivor. All of us, our personalities are pretty, whether we like to admit or not, OCD, and we like that repetition. And that familiarity, I think, is probably the most important part. It's just that thing that you do with your kids and your family. That's the repetition that you do over and over. The final part on that just comes down to, I always like to go to what my grandfather Foster told me when we got married, is he said, you need to have seven things that you do during the week that you never miss. If it's doing the dishes together, if it's going for a walk, et cetera. And I think that that strategy is probably one of the most important um, for my dad and I right now, to be honest with you, what's hard is we use POSNA, we use IPOS, we use all these meetings as times that we have together. And through COVID, it's we, we, we've noticed how much we miss that. So anyways, I think that the biggest goal of it is, is just to make sure that you come up with habits that you just don't break and you just don't skip. And uh, those are the sacred times that you just make sure that you protect. Jonathan, what does your uh, wife do? Does she uh, work outside the home? Uh, so right now she is, she was a junior high school science teacher. And then when her kids were in uh, elementary age, they, she uh, stayed home with them. And then now she's um, actually doing a lot of volunteering 
um, in particular with COVID, she's really in, enjoyed it, made a silver lining of it, if you will, is, is that she helps with vaccinations and helps take food to uh, the some of the, the needy in Nashville. And she's got a good group of friends that she does that with. And our son's now in college and my daughter's a junior. And, you know, they're at the stage where those the habitual aspects of doing things are more me missing them when they don't happen as much as they do and things shift a little bit. So now that she has that, she's out doing more. I think it's important to know for the young members that there's a season and things change and the negotiation between spouses changes over time. Majorly. Craig, looking back, what was one or two things that your parents did that really uh, was helpful or meaningful to you given the constraints of their jobs? I think it's funny. It is great to hear other people say the same thing. And I know kind of looking back, I feel a little bit spoiled that my dad was around as much as he was. And I think the big thing is that I'm kind of in the phase of my career now where I'm learning how hard that is to do. And he made it look very easy. What he probably did and what my parents did collectively was that similar to what John was just talking about is that they were very intentional about their organization of time. And they said, this is kind of the priority and these are the things that we really want to do. And so if your number one priority is kind of making sure that you're around, then I think then you kind of set aside the time and say, no, my kid has a soccer game, I have to go. And obviously there are times that you can't do that. But I think they were pretty intentional about setting that and saying, this is really important to me. I think we need to organize our time so that we're able to do that. And then similar to what other people have mentioned, we used to go on walks whenever I was a child after dinner. Monday night was the big long conference at Scottish right so Monday night we were on our own and it was just my mom and my sister and I and then every other night of the week it was a family dinner time and we kind of were flexible and they communicated intentionally and said this is the time that I'm going to be done and he was there and we sat down and ate dinner and we would eat dinner and talk about the day and then we would go for a walk and so it's easy to kind of get caught up with everything else and all the other responsibilities but I think that they were very very good about communication and setting aside the time and making it feel like it was the priority. Hey guys, what things, let's uh, go stay with you, Craig. Um, What things did you take from your parents through all this and what did you come out resolved to change? They're probably going to watch this at some point, so I I won't say anything too bad. Um, I think (laughs) the... I think the big thing is that for the people who know my dad know that he's very much a family person. And so I think I've learned to appreciate the things that he did now a lot more than I did when I was younger. The big things that they did is they kind of made the family time not feel like something that they needed to do or something that came secondary, but was something that was of the utmost importance to them. And it was just the natural thing that we were going to be a family unit and that they would be around. And so I think that that's honestly probably the biggest thing that they did collectively was really make us feel important and like the time away and the time together was essential and critical. I think I'd like to cycle through everyone answering the question You guys are singing to the choir here a little bit. You all have siblings. How do they feel about all of that? Go ahead. You're Ron, Dr. Birch. Uh, well, I know my sister is, she works for the Economist magazine in, uh, in London. And so, uh, it's a little bit tricky to speak for her. She very much did not go into the medical field. She spent a little bit of time doing medicine, kind of shadowing for a summer and then decided that she would rather do something else. But I think still at the end of the day, she has a similar approach where she kind of saw a very 
well-modeled, very functional relationship of kind of two very hardworking people, kind of how they spent their relationship and spent their time with their family. And so even though she's further away and we don't get to see her, we do lots of Zoom meetings as a family too, not just not just work-related Zoom meetings. Um, and so that time is still really important. And so she took away kind of those same lessons and impl- uh, applied them to what she's doing in her family. How about you, Jonathan? So in terms of taking away from my dad, um, the biggest thing is optimism. I I have a hard time finding anybody who I think has an outlook on life of how great it is. And anytime I call and I complain about anything, he just very much breaks it down to, did you get to help somebody today? Yes. Did you get to teach somebody today? Yes. And then he says, how's your family? He said, they're great. And then he does ask, he says, how are the dogs? I said, they're great. And he's like, well, what in the world do you have to complain about? And I have respected that forever. And there's times where it drives me crazy. <laughs> um, but that is, for me, the biggest driving fact and of, of what I take away from him. The part in terms of my sibling, I have one brother who's wonderful. We have all a very good relationship. I think that, you know, there's probably times that he and my mom make fun of my dad and I for getting so deep into something and will be making fun of us and neither of us even realize it. But um, the thing that's happened to us at this point, which actually been very fun in regards to the, as you brought up about the animations, is he runs a company that uh, we're now doing a lot of work together in making a lot of the animations that you see at Pasna. And that's really brought the three of us together in a way that I never expected. And it's just been an absolute delight having all three of us sitting down and talking about what the absolute problem is, is that you need to get across in an animation and then he goes off with his team and makes it. And that's really been fun for all of us right now. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. And how about you, Ben? I know you guys had a big family. Yeah, so I'm one of six. And, yeah. uh, and, and we kind of run the gamut. It's been interesting. So my, I'm the oldest. Katie, who's uh, one behind me, actually did go to medical school and, and did an internship. But then uh, started uh, her family and kind of never ended up going back. I think that one of the, the themes that everybody has sort of followed is just sort of the importance and the stress of taking care of others, you know, and as well as the importance of family as well. I think, you know, Katie, my sister was like, you know, just decided that she really wanted to take care of her own kids and her own family. And that was sort of, you know, her thing. And her husband supported that. And, you know, he was a, actually a pediatrician as well. Um, although he's working for Apple now, you know, and they've been very successful. I have another sister who's out in, uh, she's in San Francisco. I have a sister in Santa Monica who's, um, actually a executive at a hedge fund after spending years working for NASA. She was an astrophysics major at Yale. She was the underachiever of the family <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, has, has a couple of kids of her own. Everybody has kids and every, and, you know, and it's, you know, we definitely zoom calls, things like that. Cause it's been hard, especially this past year, but, but, you know, over time, you know, our family's always been pretty close knit and in the area, you know, I've had uh, my mom's one of four, all of her siblings are close for years, me and all of my siblings were in the New York area, but over the last, you know, five to eight years, I guess people have started to move out and it's definitely made it a little bit harder, but, you know, we definitely have the the wherewithal to, to kind of get together and things like that. You know, as far as like the, I think the original question is like, you know, how did growing up in that household impact my other siblings? Um, I mean, I know that my sister, when she was growing up, always wanted to be an oncologist. She wanted to be a pediatric oncologist, which I can't even imagine. I mean, you save so many lives and it's wonderful, but oh my God, what devastation at the same time. And, you know, ultimately she decided that that wasn't for her. But my other siblings, I guess they just, they just sort of saw the, you know, that you have these two people that dedicated their lives to research and to taking care of others, you know, and really putting others before themselves. Cause that's, that's what they did. My, both of my parents and, and still do. 
And they kind of definitely incorporated that into what they do. My brother was a teacher in um, you know, the New York City public schools for many years before going to, to architect school. Um, my sister's a vet and she, you know, loves, takes care of, you know, everybody's not only her patients, but whoever's in the area as well. So every, everyone sort of has taken that to heart. Great. It's really cool to hear about, uh, Craig and, and John alluded to some of the, uh, just those habits, those little things day to day that seem to make a big difference. You know, as surgeons and, and physicians and taking care of, of children, one of the things we wrestle with on a day to day basis or week to week is unexpected events and injuries and complications, and being on call and stuff like that. And it comes from the territory. When you guys were kids, when you were younger, were those sort of things sort of shared with you? Were you aware when dad's having a tough day on call or a bad day or had a kid bounce back with an infection? And, and is that something that I wrestle with myself? Do I keep those things separate? Do I bring them home with me? And, and sort of particularly John and Ben, how do you approach those in your own home? You know, sharing versus bottle boxing yeah. it up. If you, if you don't mind, I'll go on this. I've thought a lot of, a lot about this. I think that the most important thing for every one of us to do um, with who we are is, is to first admit that we're type A personalities and we're selfish. And in particular, we're selfish about time. You know, we chose to do this. And along those lines, I think you just have to be very careful never to put anybody that you love in a position to ever feel bad for wanting you to be around. And I think it's really important, therefore, to make sure that you never say, you know, anything of like, well, I have to go do this because that kid needs me when your child or somebody's asking you to do something because you never want them to feel bad for asking or wanting you to be around. And I think that balance of it is really important. Most kids and, and, and your spouse will know if you talk about it before. And that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is, is that times I've noticed in my family is hurt the most by when I'm gone is if I didn't tell them that it, it could happen. And so we try very hard to make it so that my call schedule is on the calendar and everybody knows about it. And um, I think that that part of it has made it so that they can adapt to it easily. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would totally agree. I think that expectations are so important, you know, and, and I don't know that I've done a great job of that. I know that my wife will tell the kids whenever I say I'll be home, she'll just add an hour to it basically. And then that'll give them a good window. I do remember as a kid, my father had a patient who passed, who died. And I just remember how devastated he was by that. And that was something that was, uh, I mean, I was the oldest. I was probably middle school or something like that. I was really, really struck by that. And, and just like how it, it impacted me. It was just, I felt so terrible for him because he was so, I mean, he was so upset. I mean, of course. And that was, I think, one of the other things, like, I don't know that I really want to do something where that sort of responsibility might fall on me. But I know that as I've had bad outcomes, as we all do, and particularly some of the, the most difficult outcomes, you know, that affect us as well, of course, um, not the same way. But I mean, of course, we share with our, our spouses. I think that's, that's natural. You know, how much do you share with the kids? And and my kids are are older, too. I mean, I've got a daughter who's applying to med school now who's, you know, two years out of college, actually, in Boston, because Columbia wouldn't take her as a researcher this year after COVID, which was frustrating. But anyway, you know, that type of stuff I haven't brought to the kids. I mean, on the very rare, I mean, you know, whatever, one-hand occasions where I've, I've really been dramatically affected by something for more than, you know, a very short period of time, you know, my wife kind of just brought it to the kids and said something happened. And I've not had to really, I think, get them overly involved in that stuff. You know, I mean, there's like, you know, there's infections and things like that. But when you've got spinal cord injuries or, or other things of that nature, you know, it's very difficult to handle. It's a whole other forum for you, right? Sort of how do you, mm -hmm. how do you deal with those types of stresses? 
I think it's one of those mysteries of your parents that the kids will perceive anxiety or stress and not know why. And it's not them, it's something else going on. And I, I think it's important to let them know that. Absolutely. No, I think that that's, that that's right. And, and I also love John's comment about when you can't be around um, and maybe sometimes expectations aren't met because that's going to happen. Letting them know that, that it's not that you know, I love you any less or somebody, you know, needs me more than you, but it's just sort of, you know, this is right now, this is what I, my responsibility and I need to do it. I'm going to come back to you and, and it doesn't impact your feelings for them. And I think that's especially when the kids are younger, that can really be. Yeah. I will, con- I will confess I've, I've been, been able and happy to share the uh, wins. You know, if I have a great x-ray, I'll, I'll sometimes show my wife at home because I try and make it like we're a team um, in that regard because she's such a big part of, of what we do together. Sharing the, the bad outcomes is a little tougher from an ego standpoint, for sure. Um, we're getting a little bit close to the end. Uh, so some maybe some quick hitting questions just as we close out. Craig, uh, if you could talk to yourself, you know, when you're when you're kind of a school age younger kid, or if you could talk to just a general child of an orthopedic orthopedic surgeon, what advice would you give them, or what perspective if you could tell them one or one or two kind of take home key points? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things that I would highlight. I know John and Ben both actually, even though I had a slight, maybe a slightly different experience, I went through the same phase of saying, no way am I going to become an orthopedic surgeon and absolutely no way am I going to become an, a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. But I think at the end of the day, you really, I mean, I think everyone's kind of naturally drawn to doing this because it's something that makes you happy and it's something that we all enjoy doing. Obviously, I think my father also felt the same way and feels the same way. And so that meant when he was at home, he was happier with his life overall for what he was doing. And so for me, I fought it for a really long time. And then at the end of the day, had to accept it and say, you know what, this is what I think will make me happy to do this. And so it's silly to not do it because I think that I don't want to be in that shadow or I, I always told myself I would do something else. So I would have told myself, don't fight it too much. Just find what it is that makes you happy. And if it's doing the same thing, great. If it's not great too. Uh, and then the other thing I would say too, and that I'm probably still learning now is that it's not as easy as some people make it look, but it's possible. And so that's kind of what I'm going through now. And it's nice to hear John and Ben talk about their experiences too, because that I know will be me in a couple of years. And so it is possible, but it takes a lot of work. And so it's something that you kind of have to sit down every day or maybe just do it while you're on the Peloton, (laughs) remind yourself where your priorities are and make the time to do it because there's a lot of things that are drawing at your time and you have to kind of be organized and, and manage that well. Dr. Shanika, what would you, just as somebody who's lived through this and had kids of their own, what would you, um, what would you be your advice to uh, Pete's Orthodox and their families with younger kids? So we'll say kind of pre-school age type of thing in terms of dealing with that age and sort of mentality. Oh my gosh, enjoy every minute of it because it goes so fast. <laughs> Uh, by far. I mean, the you know, the biggest thing I think that I would say going back to myself and what I would try to say to my kids all the time is find your passion through experiences. You know, the entire world is out there to explore. Don't get don't get stuck into uh, this this last year of COVID virtual <laughs> and, uh, you know, just take advantage of every opportunity you can to figure out who you are through experiences of interacting with other people. And so for the preschool kids, it's easy. Play date, play date, play date, play date. 
the days are long and the years are quick. It sounds like I've, I've experienced that sadly too. Always. Uh, so Ben, I, I asked my, my kids uh, what they thought about having a pediatric orthopedic surgeon for mom. And my 23 year old said, well, it was probably good that you got out of the house a little bit. My daughter, the 17 year old said it was very inspiring to have a mom that even though she wasn't always the class parent, she always had a cooler job than everybody else. And my 15-year-old said he probably drank more milk than was probably absolutely necessary. I'm really big on calcium and vitamin D. What would you give for advice to a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and their family with older children who are getting into the late high school and college age? Right. And, and that's, that's exactly where I am. I've got, a, you know, my kids are 23, 20, 18, and 11, but one outlier. And so we have this discussion all the time. My wife's a pediatrician and, and you know, we kind of have different approaches to this because she's not as happy, I think, and the more challenging career to navigate with primary care than, than what we have. But I mean, I, I think very similar to, to what the other two have said, which is that you, you need to enjoy what you do. You want to find a job that you're going to feel fulfilled in. And I think that's going to be something where you're able to give back. Uh, and if you can fulfill, you know, those two requirements, I think that that you're going to be happy. And it's, you know, I, I never pushed my children to go into medicine in any way, shape or form. I, I mean, I hope that I modeled it. I hope that I modeled the enjoyment and the satisfaction that I got out of what I did. You know, Danny, like you said, I, you know, if I have a big case, it goes really well and the resident texts me some pictures about it. You know, I'll share them at the table because the kids get a kick out of it and it's and it's a lot of fun and and everybody enjoys that. Um, so I do, I do try to model that, but I, I tell that, I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, my daughter had a very, I mean, there's so many parallels. I mean, not shockingly, you know, she spent a, a summer with me in high school or a, a couple months and got to do a cadaver lab. And she's like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a spine surgeon when I grow up and we'll see what happens. But, you know, she's taken a couple of years after college and doing research and, and taking her MCAS next month. And, and it's really exciting, but I, I just, I, I, what I, for me with my kids, and I think for any, anybody, I think you just want to make sure that your children don't feel compelled to do what your parents are doing. If they want to do it, that's fantastic, but they do, they need to find their own way. And the other piece of that too, is that there's no rush. I went straight through a lot of people do that. Um, I kind of felt like this is what I want to do. I didn't really, I was stupid. I didn't really know anything else, but you know, my daughter's taken a couple years off and so many people do. And I think there's huge value in that because you may find on that, on that path that, you know what, there may be something else uh, that ends up, you know, tickling your fancy. And that ends up something unexpected out of left field that all of a sudden, wow, this is now a career for you. You know, I know my other, my boys that are uh, 18 and 20, they're not expressing any interest in medicine and I have no idea what they're going to do. And on the one hand, I'm a little type A, you know, as John was saying, I'm like, oh, how can you not know what you're going to do? But it's like, but that's awesome. And that's wonderful because everything is a possibility for them. And I want to make sure that they understand that. And we do have these discussions and it's like, you know, it's okay not to know what you want to do. And you go out there, you get experiences, you do internships, you travel, you do all these things that we're so fortunate to be able to help our children do, you know, and then you, you kind of figure it out. And at the end, I, I just, I want to make sure that my children always know that I'm always here for them and they can always pick up the phone and call me, which my daughter does every single day, which is fantastic. Just that they have that support and they know that there's no, you know, the expectations are not really there that they're doing anything in particular. They just need to kind of go out there and find their own path. That's not hard to believe because I know, Dr. Roy, you've always been there every time I've texted or called you with a problem or a dilemma. So I appreciate that. 
last question for the group, and we'll try and do the, keep these brief. But as when you think of us as you know, we're talking. We've been talking mainly individual level, but as a profession, as POSNA, as a society, a global community of pediatric orthopedic doctors. What do you think we could collectively do to improve the health of the orthopedic family, both for our providers, for the spouses, other caregiver children themselves? One or two things from sort of a big picture cultural standpoint. Let's start with Craig and then we'll do John and and end with Ben. I I feel a little bit, uh, again, maybe spoiled by being even in this field, because I think whenever I look at my other friends from medical school and my other friends, even from residency within orthopedics, whenever I look at uh, maybe they have some different challenges with work-life balance and they have a maybe a slightly more demanding call schedule or they have a field that maybe doesn't prioritize families quite as much as pediatric orthopedics does. So I, I do feel like the average person who's kind of drawn into pediatric orthopedics maybe has a slightly different mindset. But I think there's a lot of people that have gone into the specialty that are excellent role models for maybe the the way and everyone's a little bit different, but maybe the way to do it and a good way to do it. And so I think it would be helpful if we could find a way to share that kind of across other specialties that maybe that's not quite as ingrained as, as it has been in, in previous generations with pediatric orthopedics. Great. John, your thoughts? CME approved meetingless meetings. <laughs> Very good, Ben. Lassa, you get the final word here. I think that awareness is really the biggest thing and just kind of maybe even making it part of the curriculum, you know, not to assume that everyone's going to be married and have kids, but everyone's going to, everyone has relationships, whether it's friends or a spouse or a, or a traditional family. And, you know, we learn really, really well how to operate and reduce fractures and manage patients and and we don't learn at all how to manage our lives. And, and I do think that over time, medical schools and, and residencies to some degree are trying to incorporate those types of lessons. And, and, and I do think that there's mentorship. This is a form of mentorship. I think mentorship has been the main way that that sort of message has been gotten out. But maybe it's time to think about having a little something a little bit more formal, you know, just to make it awareness. If you put it in front of people, they'll think about it. Great. I think your kids are all very lucky. And I think your parents are all very lucky to have kids who have gone into the family business. But we've run out of time. I'd like to thank all of our guest panelists today for sharing their insight. And thanks to our audience for listening in. And to view all of our digital content housed on the POSNA virtual meeting platform. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. This was great. Good.